Thanks for checking out our weekly podcast. Our mission at Grace is to help people worship God, connect to others, and serve both. We hope that you'll be blessed and encouraged by this week's message. For more information about Grace, you can follow us on Facebook or check out our website at experiencegrace.church. Bring it. All right, I like that. I don't know if you guys enjoy that or not, but I know a lot of people are thinking about football. How many of you guys are excited about the games that are happening later today? Anyone that is... Yeah. All right, just Ty. It's uh, <laughs> Ty is the only one. I saw the Chiefs fans, the Herefords, they're all decked out and ready to go. But uh, we are thinking about the, the uh, Super Bowl just right around the corner and things like that. It actually ties into the message that we're going to be talking about today. But before we dive into that, I want to remind you that uh, we do do things a little bit differently on Super Sunday. So in two weeks, uh, if you would like to dress up, you're certainly welcome to do that. It doesn't have to be a football team. I think we have some pictures from last year. Uh, we're encouraging families to just dress in whatever your favorite team's gear is. Uh, I wear University of Tennessee college football, so it doesn't have anything to do with uh, the NFL, uh, but we want to encourage you to uh, come. We'll have a photo opportunity set up. Uh, we also have a resource already available out there. Uh, this is designed for people that like to gamble. Okay, not really, uh, but uh, it does have some different things where you can guess how things are going to go on the front. It's designed for families. On page number two, there's some things you can do with your kids. And on the last page, this is the one that I believe is the most important. Some of you guys are going to go to football parties, Super Bowl parties, where there are going to be people that don't know Jesus. And sometimes it's awkward to turn the conversations towards spiritual things. And so this last page is designed to equip you to do that. It has some conversation starters and things like that. Those are only $50. They are at the Welcome Center, and you can pick those up on your way out. They are free, all right? They are out there, and go ahead and grab those on the way out. Lastly, um, some of you uh, have that, there's a, this, this gift of service, and you love to just serve people. Uh, if you're one of those people and you want to host a Super Bowl party, because there's always in a church, there are always people that are like, I don't really feel connected to other people in the church. Well, there's a reason for that. You don't talk to them. <laughs> and they don't talk to you, right? And so what we want to do is we want to create opportunities for that. And so if you're one of those people that's like, I love to cook, I love to host people, I want to host a Super Bowl party. And if you'll write your name and write host Super Bowl party on the back of a connection card, we will get you connected with some people. If you're on the other end of it, you're like, I want to connect with people, but I don't have a, a place to go to have fun uh, with that, for the Super Bowl, uh, then you write, uh, I want to attend a Super Bowl party. We will get the, the two groups connected and we will have fun uh, on that day. All right, if you have your Bibles with you, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 4. We've been in a series of messages for the last several weeks that we've been calling Made New. And we've been going through Ephesians chapter 4, just verse by verse. And one of the things that we know is that in 1 Corinthians, we are told that when we are in Christ, we are made new. We are new creatures. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things are become new, right? And so when you read through Ephesians chapter 4, we're seeing how that takes place, how God makes us new after we believe the gospel. And one of the things that we've seen consistently through this passage is that being made new is a process that is done in the context of community. That's why we're always trying to connect people. That's why we're always talking about life groups and, and D groups and trying to get people connected through Super Bowl parties and come early and stay late and talk to the people next to you and greet someone and all of that. Because as we grow closer to one another, it gives us opportunities to be made new uh, in our walk with the Lord as well. 
part of that community of believers that help us to grow in our faith and to be made new as our spiritual leaders that God has given to us. We looked at that last week. We saw that uh, spiritual leaders are a gift. We saw that in verses 11 and 12 where the Ephesians chapter 4 says, and he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. And so we won't dive into all of that because I've got a lot of ground to cover and Mark already ate up some of my time, all right? And so I'm going to talk really fast today. So if you're taking notes or you might have to go back and watch the video. But what what we see here is that one of the gifts that God gives us are spiritual leaders, but that gift has a very specific purpose, and that's told in verse number 12 where it says this, he gave these leaders for the perfecting of the saints. We talked about how perfecting means equipping, so God has given spiritual leaders to equip the saints so that the saints are able to do the work of the ministry, so the saints are able to edify the body of Christ. What comes as a result of being equipped and when we begin to do the work of the ministry and we begin to edify the body, which is the church, um, verses 13 through 16 show us what happens. And it's a beautiful thing that happens there and you can go back and read that for yourself. This week, though, I want to take a little bit of a detour uh, from Ephesians 4 and I want to dig a little bit deeper into what it means to be perfected or what it means to be equipped. And one of the... One of the key principles to understanding the scriptures is that when there's something that you'd like to dive deeper into or if there's something you don't understand the best thing is not always to go to a book or to go to the internet that's a really bad idea uh, but one of the best things to do is go to the scriptures and find other places in scripture that talk about the same topic in which you have questions or the one that you are studying here Paul actually wrote this passage in Ephesians chapter 4 where he talks about these gifts that God has given to us after he descended and then ascended and he led captivity captive and all of that. And he talks about gifts in other letters that he wrote to churches as well. He talks about these gifts in 1 Corinthians uh, and he talks about them in Romans as well. So God has given to us, according to these passages, this, this gift that we have, or gifts, plural. Every time you see gifts mentioned by the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians, Ephesians 4, and Romans 12, uh, there are certain things that are mentioned in every one of those passages. Number one, he talks about how we are a body. So it's important that when you hear us talking about the body, we're not talking about Jesse Ventura. Does anyone remember Jesse Ventura, the body? Okay, good. I'm digging real deep to, to kind of do some, some pop culture references here, all right? When we're talking about the body in the scriptures, we're talking about the church. Uh, not only every time he talks about spiritual gifts does he reference the body, but he also talks about how we all have different gifts. We're not all the same. He also points out that we need one another. Every one of these passages, he points that out. And the last thing that he points out consistently in all these passages is that the body will not function properly without its individual parts doing their part. Look what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. It says, for as the body, and he's here talking about the physical body, as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ, right? We are put in Christ at salvation. We are made a part of the body of Christ at salvation. And then he says what uh, uh, Pastor Andrew talked about just a few weeks ago in verse 13. For by one spirit, we are all baptized into one body, whether we're Jews or Gentiles, whether we're bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. We'll skip verses 15 and 16 and 17. Verse 18 says, But now God hath set the members, every one of them, in the body as it has pleased him.
So what we see is when we were talking about these spiritual gifts, God says we're like a body. Every one of us have been given a gift, and that gift is the body part that we play. If you have believed the gospel, not only are you a part of the body, but you are, don't miss that part, that, that part of it where it says you are a part of the body. Let me ask you this. Do you know which part you are in the body of Christ? Think about that for a second. You may be thinking, well, I don't, I don't really know. Am I like a fingernail or am I a knuckle? You know, or am, I, am I a knee or a kneecap? You know, what, what body part do I play? What, what am I here in the body of Christ? As far as I understand, in all of Paul's writings to the different churches, the only body part that is clear, clearly identified, does anyone know what it is? The cabeza, for those of you who habla espanol. The head, all right? Uh, the head is the only part of the body that is clearly defined. Do you know who the head is? Come on, guys. I know Mark went really long, okay, but stay with me. Anybody know who the head of the body is? Tell me on three. One, two, three. Jesus, yeah, if you're, if you're ever unsure, just do the junior church thing and say Jesus, all right? Jesus is the head. It's the only body part that is identified uh, clearly as far as it, who it represents. One of the things that's important to understand is that we are not told to find out what part we are, but we are found, told to find out what part we play. It's not about finding what, what part we are, but what part we play. The part that we play in the body is determined by the spiritual gifts that God gives to us. In 1 Corinthians 12, and verse number 1, he, he says this very, very important statement. He says, now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, so he's talking to believers, I wouldn't have you ignorant. How many of you guys know somebody that's ignorant? Point at them, right? One, two, three. No, no. When you're ignorant, he's not saying you're stupid. He's saying, I just don't want you to be unaware, right? Uh, I can think of times where I've said something to someone unaware of a situation in their life, and later on I found out what was happening, and I thought, oh man, I, read, I, I bet I really look like a jerk the way I was talking to him. I didn't know that this had happened, and you feel stupid, but you're not stupid. You're just ignorant. And he says when it comes to this thing of spiritual gifts, God does not want us to be uneducated. He doesn't want us to be aloof or unaware or ignorant. The declaration of all of these passages is that we are gifted. And God does not want us ignorant of that truth. So if that, if that is the case, brethren, if you believe the gospel, we should know what our spiritual gift is. So I want to ask you, do you know what your spiritual gift is? Now, don't yell it out loud. You don't have to brag and go, oh, right here, I got it. Let me tell you, I'll tell everybody. No, <laughs> there are some people that would do that. But do you know what your spiritual gift is? Just as the body is unhealthy when its parts are not performing the purpose for which they exist, let's just say the heart stops performing its function. How many of you guys think your body's going to keep going on without that happening, right? Just as the body is unhealthy when its parts are not performing the purpose for which they exist, the church body is unhealthy when its parts are not performing the purpose for which they exist. He told the Corinthians, don't be ignorant. One of the most pa uh, famous passages of Scripture is Romans 12, where he says, I beseech you. You know what the word beseech means? He says, I beg you. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you do what? Present your bodies a living sacrifice, right? Well, as you continue through the thought of that passage, guess what he's going to be talking about in Romans 12? Spiritual gifts. And so he tells the Romans, I'm begging you to 
to sacrifice yourself, be a living sacrifice that is using your gift to be a blessing to others. And he tells the Corinthians, he says, I wouldn't have you to be ignorant, guys, because we are one body and we need to be using these gifts for their sake and for ours. Now, there's a lot of information when it comes to this thing of spiritual gifts. And just to be really transparent with you, uh, a lot of the passages actually open the door to even deeper discussions. Deeper discussions about topics like, I'm going to try to impress you with my theology, cessationism. I'm not even sure if I said that right. I think it has something to do with the Civil War. Um, cessationism. Basically what that boils down to is whether or not the sign gifts are still for today. Whether or not speaking in tongues, the gift of healing, uh, the gift of prophecy, and like a word of truth from God and those sorts of things. Now, I personally believe that those are no longer needed and we don't have time to get into all of that. Uh, we just don't have uh, the, 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 the time in our, in our schedule this morning to do that. My goal, though, is to do an overview of what I believe are the most common gifts that are in use today. And I think they're found in Romans 12. So if you have your Bibles, go, and go to Romans 12 and you can see this for yourself. Romans chapter 12, at verse number 4, where the Bible says, For as, as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, so we being many are one body in Christ and every one members one of another. Are you seeing basically he's telling the, uh, the Romans here the same thing that he told the Corinthians that we read just a moment ago? Like I told you, he, he repeats a lot of the same stuff, but he's writing it to different churches here. And he says, just like the body's got a lot of different parts and they all have different responsibilities, so does the church. A lot of different parts, a lot of different responsibilities. He says in, in the next verse, verse number six, um, Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith. The first gift that we see that's listed, the first spiritual gift that we see listed here in Romans 12 is the gift of prophecy. Now, what is it that comes to mind when you think of the gift of prophecy? When you think of someone that's a prophet, are you like me and you kind of picture somebody with like long flowing hair and a big white robe and a sweet, you know, Duck Dynasty beard and white Crocs on? Is that kind of what you think of whenever you think of someone that has the gift of prophecy? You think of somebody that's got like a magic eight ball and they tell the future, you know, and what's going to happen to other people. Um, the gift of prophecy is, is not about that. The gift of prophecy is not the ability to tell the future. It's, it's not like the Old Testament prophets. The Old Testament prophets made predictions about the future, not ones that they thought of themselves. They wrote as the Holy Spirit of God moved on them to make these predictions and say the things that they were told to say. But the Bible teaches us that everything that needed to be revealed by God to us has been done so in the Scriptures. In Revelation, the Bible says this, Revelation 22, it says, For I testify unto every man that hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. I want you to think about um, the Old Testament prophets. How much of the scriptures did the Old Testament prophets have? Not very many, right? They, Paul, they ain't heard of Paul yet, not, they, much less the New Testament. Uh, when, when you're going through uh, the New Testament and you're looking at these, these early churches, how much of the Bible did they have? They still didn't have the entire canon of Scripture either. But there's another thing that they did not have. Not only did they not have the entire totality of the Scriptures, but what else did they not have? The Holy Spirit of God. 
The Holy Spirit of God in the Old Testament would come on people for a short time and then away. But we, what we see after uh, Jesus Christ dies and, and, and rises again and the church is established, when a person believes the gospel, we are baptized into the body. We read it a moment ago. We're baptized into the body by the Spirit. Now, I said I wasn't going to talk about it, but let me just say this. There are a lot of people that say that, well, if you haven't had a second working of the Spirit or a second fulfilling of the Spirit or some crazy thing like that, they say then you haven't really believed the Gospel. Well, I'm just here to say that the Scripture we read earlier said that if you have believed the Gospel, then you have been baptized by the Spirit of God. And so you get the Spirit, according to 1 Corinthians, you get the Spirit of God as soon as you believe the Gospel. It's not something that happens later on. Does that make sense? So, but what we see in this passage, what we're talking here about the gift of prophecy, prophecy for us in the New Testament in the age of grace is a lot different than it was when they were under the law because we have the scriptures and we have the Holy Spirit of God. The reason they needed prophets was because of that. Prophecy today, I think, could be defined by this, and this is not original to me, but I love this definition, so I'm going to use it. The gift of prophecy um, uh, is the divine enablement to proclaim God's truth with power and clarity for correction, repentance, and edification. It's the ability to reveal God's word accurately. People that have the, the gift of prophecy tend to be people that uh, are leaders. They tend to be very persuasive speakers. Uh, they tend to be very opinionated. Um, they see things in black. and How many guys are thinking of someone right now that might have the gift of prophecy? They, um, they like to point out sin in other people's lives. And they don't do it just to be a holy roller and better than everybody else. They, they do it because they see things in black and white. If you're doing the wrong thing, you need to stop and start doing the right thing because if you do the wrong thing, you're going to be hurt. And I don't want you to get hurt, so let's go, right? It's just very black and white. Uh, they tend to be very outspoken. Uh, they can be very persuasive in their conversations about truth. Uh, they tend to be open about their own faults. As one person said, if you're going to buy a car from someone, you want to buy a car from someone who's a prophet because a prophet doesn't want to hide any truth, right? Uh, so what they'll do is if they're selling a car, they're going to say, now here's the deal, all right? It's for this much money, but I need to show you. Let me show you this little bit of rust that's up underneath the trunk of the car. And, you know, this one time not too long ago, I hit a dog, but I fixed that little dent and it was right here. And they're going to point everything out because they don't want to hide anything from you. When it comes to these people that have the gift of prophecy, they also along with the strengths, have some weaknesses. Uh, those that have to get the prophecy uh, sometimes are viewed as, as harsh because they are so forward and frank with others. They tend to make quick impressions of people. Um, they tend to uh, fall into struggling with pride, dependence upon their own ability. Sometimes they can be very perceived as uh, insensitive. Um, sometimes it, it's a weakness of of exposing rather than restoring. They, they react harshly to people that are doing the wrong thing because they just want to expose truth rather than help the person come back to where they need to be. Uh, a person in Scripture that you might think of that, uh, that, that potentially had the gift of prophecy would be Peter. Peter was just a truth teller. He was very, just, uh, very, uh, very quick to react, right? Whenever uh, Jesus is in the, in the Garden of Gethsemane, he's about to go to the cross. Remember, Judas betrays him, and old Peter's there when the Roman soldiers come in. And what does that prophet do? He's ticked off. He ain't gonna let, you're going to take my Savior, right? He pulls out his sword, which is very ironic. I th he must have a concealed carry permit. Why did Jesus let him carry a sword? 
I'd like for the pacifist to answer that question, but that's a whole other story. And so he pulls out a sword. I think he was going for the Roman soldier's head, but he doesn't cut off his head. What's he cut off? So he wasn't very good with the sword, apparently, all right? He missed, he cut off the guy's ear, and Jesus reaches down, picks up the ear, he heals the guy, and it's kind of a neat story. But you see that with Peter. You see him on the boat when Jesus is walking on the water, and, and everybody thought it was a ghost, and the ghost says, it's me, it's Jesus, and Peter's like, I want to find out for myself. You know, and he's getting out on the water, right? That's how these people with the gift of prophecy tend to react. They tend to lack, uh, lack tactfulness because of their frankness. They mean well, but they can come across harshly. The second one is found in verse number seven. And that would be the gift of ministry. He says, or ministry, let us wait on our ministry. Um, one person defined it as the gift of ministry being the divine enablement to attach spiritual value to the accomplishment of physical tasks within the church, the ability to demonstrate love by meeting practical needs that releases other Christians for direct spiritual ministry. This word ministry here literally means to serve. Uh, this is a gift uh, that th those that have this gift enable God's work to be fulfilled. Uh, the, the, the word that's used here for ministry is the same word that's used to describe the people that were selected in Acts chapter 6 where the, uh, the apostles were, were busy studying and praying uh, but they were also having to take care of the widows in Jerusalem. And so they said, we need to find seven men that can minister right, that can serve, that can go take care of these widows so that the apostles can continue doing the other work of the ministry. You see what I'm saying? And there were people among them that were prophets, the apostles, and there were people that were among them that were ministers, the, those seven that were chosen, and because they worked together in Acts chapter 6, that's when the church really began to explode and began to go, uh, to move forward. Those that had the gift of ministry enjoy doing the tangible uh, work of the ministry. They take pleasure in doing everyday tasks. Um, they're really not interested in being in front of others, but they love to help others. Uh, I saw Joe Happick earlier. Is Joe in here? He's probably out there mopping or something. He's, he has the gift of ministry. I don't know if he knows it or not, uh, but last week when we came in, it, there, was, there was snow and ice and water and everything out there in the foyer. And uh, when you guys all got in here in the first service, just before it started, I went out there and Joe had brought out a mop and a bucket because he was like, we can't have this water up in here. We don't need anybody falling, slipping and tripping and having, a, you know what, I got to take care of this, right? And so you went out there, you probably didn't even notice that there was no water out there in the foyer. You know why? Because there was a guy that had the gift of ministry that said, I want to use it. So Joe went out there and he did it. How many guys would say, I'm that kind of person that I don't like to be in front of other people, but I don't mind doing behind the scenes stuff. There's a lot of people that are kind of wired that way. Um, they like to free up others so that they can achieve their goals. They have a hard time passing up someone that needs help. They like to do extra work, going above what is expected. They tend to work other people under the table, um, and they would much rather be behind the scenes than up front. Now, they do have some weaknesses. One of the weaknesses of those that have the gift of ministry is they don't know how to say no. How many of you guys know someone that's like that? They, someone asks them, they're like, yeah, I'll do it. But what about this, this, and that? Well, I'll figure it out. You know, They just have a hard time saying no. They tend to have too many irons in the fire. They tend to neglect their own affairs while helping others. Uh, sometimes they're too busy for more important things, like spending time with the Lord. They react to people that overlook opportunities to serve. I, I 
think that I have a little bit of the gift of ministry because I like to be behind the scenes. I know that doesn't make sense because I'm up here, but I, if, honest, I've told people for years, if I had a choice where to serve, I'd be up in the sound booth because I like the sound booth, I like the techie stuff, and I like to not be seen. It's just something I like, and I'm glad that you guys have the gift of ministry and are taking care of it because it would be really hard to do both, right? But one of the things that when we would have uh, events in here and we'd set up tables and chairs for events, um, both of our last worship pastors... Mark uh, and Ben, I don't know that either one of them, would you, Mark, would you say you have the gift of ministry? Yeah, I wouldn't either. I'm glad you said no. Uh, neither did Ben, because what would happen is when the event was over and everybody was kind of mingling and going out, I'm picking up chairs, I'm stacking tables, and I would look over and there's Ben or there's Mark and they're talking to people. And you know what I would do? I got judgmental real fast. I was like, those bums, you know what they're doing? They started a conversation so they wouldn't have to help. And I judged Ben for years for that. And I think Andrew judged him secretly too because I think you had the same gift. And, and we were kind of judging him a little bit. And I think it was Mark that pointed out to me, he's like, Josh, you're, trans, you're very transactional. You're a ministry guy. I'm relational. He's like, I wasn't trying to get out of anything. I was trying to build relationships. I was like, you can do that later after the chairs are picked up, you know. People that have the gift of ministry tend to be a little annoyed by people that don't have the gift of ministry. And sometimes they can even be bitter uh, when they're not recognized. The next one is found in verse number 7 as well. That would be the gift of teaching. Uh, it says, or he that teacheth on teaching. Uh, this would be the divine enablement to understand and give detailed explanation of biblical truth. It's the ability to search out and validate truth which has been presented. Uh, people that have the gift of teaching enjoy books and education and knowledge. Nerds. Um, they, I'm just kidding. They test out uh, the knowledge of other people around them. They are motivated by helping others to understand why. Maybe you had a father that was like that. Like you ask a question, they go into a whole dissertation on how this bridge was built or how this thing happened or why politics are the way they are, you know. People that have the gift of teaching want to give all the details. And they enjoy learning as much as teaching. They ask a lot of questions. They, they want to validate information. If someone tells them something, they're not going to believe it because someone read it on the internet, they want to know, like, what was your source? Prove it. I want to know what truth is. They tend to present truth in a very systematic way, and sometimes they give all the information, like too much information. Their weaknesses are that they tend to struggle with pride because of what they know, uh, and their desire to teach sometimes comes across as judgmental or prideful of their knowledge. The fourth one, is the gift of exhortation. It's found in verse number 8 where it says, or he that exhorteth on exhortation. This would be the divine ability to come alongside another in a need of encouragement to reassure them, strengthen, affirm, and challenge those who are discouraged or wavering in their faith. The, they have the ability to stimulate the faith of others. This word exhortation is the same word that's used to describe the Holy Spirit of God, our paraclete. It means someone that literally comes alongside of you to help bear your burden. These people that have the gift of exhortation are attracted to people that are having problems because they are problem solvers. They tend to be counselors. They enjoy prescribing specific courses of action to problems that they identify. Um, and they are like Christian cheerleaders. They, they say, all right, here's what we're going to do. We're going to get the ball. We're going to score, right? And it's very, very plain. They can see what needs to happen, and they challenge people to make it happen. Their weaknesses are they sometimes spend too much time with people that want temporary solutions. 
Their weaknesses are that they tend to have pride because of uh, the results of their actions and how it brings about things in others. Uh, and they can be discouraged with a lack of results. The next one is found in verse number 8 as well, where it's the gift of giving. It says, he that gives, let him give with simplicity. One person described it as the divine enablement to earn money, to manage it well, wisely contribute to the work of the Lord with cheerfulness and liberality. It is the ability to entrust personal assets to others for the furtherance of the gospel. Um, people that have the gift of giving are motivated by meeting financial needs of those around them. They tend to want to remain anonymous. They don't want the limelight. They don't want to be out in front of others, but they do want a return on their investment. They can see potential in things, and they hate to waste money. Um, their weaknesses, sometimes they can struggle with pride. Sometimes they have an overemphasis on unspiritual needs rather than spiritual needs. And they are like people that have the gift of ministry. Uh, they tend to judge others that don't have the gift of giving because they lack financial uh, management skills, right? And so that would be those with the gift of giving. Number six, I know I'm, I'm rolling through these really fast, but look what the next one is in verse number eight. He says, he that ruleth does it with, do it with diligence. This would be the gift of ruling. This is the divine enablement to see what needs to be done, to set goals and attract and lead and motivate people to accomplish the work of the ministry. This is the ability to coordinate the activities of others for the achievement of common goals. Uh, those that have this uh, gift of, of, uh, of ruling tend to be very organized. A, a biblical example of this would be Nehemiah. After the walls of Jerusalem had been torn down, Nehemiah went in, and if you remember the story, he had some people that were, uh, there were watchmen and there were workmen. The people that were working had a trowel in one hand and a sword in the other hand, right? And he organized all these people so they were able to rebuild these walls in 52 days, which was quite a feat that happened. It, I believe it was because Nehemiah had that gift of ruling. Uh, people that have the gift of ruling are attracted to things that aren't organized because they see that organization is needed. They can juggle several things at once. They have vision. They like to be in front of people. They love to mobilize people, and they want to see goals. They want uh, goals fulfilled. They want to see results. Their weaknesses are they use people to achieve goals sometimes. They struggle with pride. Uh, when a job is completed, oftentimes they feel unneeded. Um, they tend to put projects ahead of people. And uh, oftentimes they'll use delegation to avoid uh, work. The last one is in verse number eight, where it says, uh, he that shows mercy, do it with cheerfulness. So this would be the gift of mercy. This is the divine enablement to minister cheerfully and appropriately to people that are suffering or undeserving and to spare them from punishment or consequences that are deserved, the ability to identify with and comfort those who are in distress. People that have the gift of mercy are gravitated, they naturally gravitate towards people that are hurting. They tend to love children, they love the elderly and stray animals, right? They uh, love people that are neglected, they like to take up the defense of others, they can detect and discern other people's feelings, they're very sensitive, um, and they like personal ministry. They don't want someone else to do it, they want to do it themselves. Their weaknesses are they sometimes have a hard time being firm, they tend to resent people that don't have mercy, and sometimes they end up in dysfunctional relationships. So, I know we flew through those seven gifts very quickly, uh, but can you notice how these people are drastically different from one another? Um, 
you see that even with the apostles. When Jesus put the apostles together, one of them uh, was a zealot. They couldn't stand the Romans. They wanted to kill the Romans. The other one worked for the Romans, right? And so Jesus puts these people that are completely different together, and he does the same thing in this body as well, just like the heart does something that's completely different from the lungs. And if they try to mix the two up, you're going to have problems. We need each other in our lives. Uh, this last week, uh, I mentioned it um, last Sunday, but this last Sunday night, we had the Expies, and uh, we celebrated everyone that uh, volunteers uh, on a regular basis, on a monthly schedule, and we went to Alexander's. Here's some pictures of some of the, some of the people that were there at uh, the event that night. But let's just, let's just pretend that at Alexander's that night, it just so happened that there was a table that had seven chairs, and the seven people that sat down at those chairs all had different gifts. Each one of them had one of the seven gifts. And let's say that as they're sitting there at the expies and the, the waiters and waitresses that are coming around, there's one of them that is bringing all seven of their drinks at once, has all drinks up in the air like this. How many of you guys have ever been a waiter or waitress and you, you've mastered that and you can do a bunch of drinks at once like that? They're bringing all those drinks at once and the waitress trips and falls. And that, all the all this stuff goes everywhere. You guys, it, it actually happened, and you guys were like, oh. <laughs> you know? but they actually, just say it actually happened. Oh. Just imagine for a second how each response would be drastically different from each one of those people. The person that has the gift of prophecy would look at the situation and go, all right, what went wrong? What was it that caused this? What, what was it that made I could I could see this whole thing from the beginning. I'll tell you what happened is you can't just walk willy-nilly around when you've got carpets laying around. She tripped over the carpet. That's what happened. The person, his motivation there is to, to correct the person. The person with the gift of service would jump up very quickly and say, what can I do to help? The person that has the gift of service isn't even going to wait to be asked. They're picking up the, the broken plates, and, or the, not plates, broken uh, cups, and their motivation is to fulfill a need. a need. I mean, there's a need there. I mean, the stuff has to be cleaned up, right? The person with the gift of teaching would be asking, why did this happen? They'd step back and say, well, the real reason this happened is because, and they want to discover all the details they can about the event. The person with the gift of exhortation would be asking, what needs to be done to fix this? How can we move to wholeness? Next time, have someone help you. Instead of bringing all seven, only bring three at a time. Or you know, bring two trays. And they'd be trying to give some exhortation to correct them so that it doesn't happen in the future. The person with the gift of giving would pull out an offering plate and take an offering right there to, to make sure that the, the things could be replaced monetarily. They want to give to relieve a need. The person with the gift of leadership would, would stand up and start telling everybody what to do, right? Uh, they would uh, mobilize others to meet the need that's before them. And the person with the gift of mercy would be over in the corner crying with the uh, waitress that had just dropped everything. They'd put their arm around and go, honey, it's going to be okay. How many of you right now, you're thinking of the person next to you and you have identified their gift already? Yeah. I know it's fun to try to guess what other people's gifts are, but what we're told here is to find out what our gifts are. Which one of those do you most identify with? Which one would you be most motivated to do? That's why Paul told the Romans, I beseech you to, uh, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice and identify your gift and use it to bless others. That's why I told the Corinthians, I don't want you to be ignorant about your spiritual gifts because this is how we operate as a church. 
Life and ministry will never reach their full potential without an understanding of how God works through these spiritual gifts. We cannot be ignorant of them. The important thing to remember when it comes to these gifts, you know, a lot of people get motivated to learn about certain things. Some people just love the book of Revelation. They want to hear all about Revelation. Some people love to talk about spiritual gifts. They want to dive into all of that. But it's not like this gift that you open up that God has given you, and once you figure out what it is, you look in there, for me? It's not something for your pleasure and your enjoyment. Your gift is intended to be used for someone else. But here's the cool thing about it. Do you remember what we looked at last week in Ephesians 4? He said that as you are equipped and you start to do the work of the ministry and you start to edify others, do you remember what verses 13 through 16 said? It talked about all the growth that comes as a result of it. So as you give your gift to others, God actually is allowing you to enjoy it more than you would have expected. Inside of here I have... A $100 bill. How many of you guys are thinking, I wish I would have stolen that before the service started, right? Yeah. I have a $100 bill. And the reason I have that in there is because last, uh, at the food pantry, not last Tuesday, but the Tuesday before that, there was uh, one of the men in our church had stopped by and he pulled out his wallet before he left and he gave me a $100 bill. I'm keeping it for myself. No, this is a different one. He gave me a $100 bill and he said, um, will you give that to someone that comes through the pantry tonight that you think needs it? And I said, I will pass it along and do that. So I handed it to Pastor Andrew, and Pastor Andrew handed it to his wife. And um, that night, there was someone that came through the food pantry that had never been before. And she saw someone from our church. It was actually Chelsea from our church. And this lady works with Chelsea. And I don't know if you've ever been to a food pantry. I have uh, at a time in our lives. And it's, it, sometimes it's difficult to go to a food pantry and ask for help, right? So she was a little bit embarrassed. And Charity felt impressed to pass that money on to that lady. And so she gave a gift, just like that person gave a gift to me, which I gave to Andrew, which he gave to Charity, which now Charity is giving to Chelsea. And he gave Chelsea the, or she gave Chelsea the $100 and said, give this to that lady tomorrow. And Chelsea's like, I don't want to do that. <laughs> Not because she wanted the money, but because it's just, it's awkward, you know, and stepping out and just making it difficult and all that. But she said, I'll do it. And so the next day she gave the money to the lady when she saw her. And then she sent Pastor Andrew a text. I actually have a copy of the text here. And this is what it says. Oh my goodness, I'm sitting in my classroom. She's a teacher. I'm bawling like a baby. I gave her the money and she hugged me and said, you have no clue what this means to me. This doubles the money I have until payday, and last night I didn't know how we were going to make it till then. Cry face, cry face, cry face. It's kind of a neat story. But the thing that I think is neat about that is not only was that gift that was given like three stages earlier by someone different, but that gift as it was passed down, as it was used for its intended purpose, not only did it bless the recipient, it blessed the person that used it. And what I did is I sent that same message to the person that gave me the $100 originally, and when he came in on Sunday, he looked at me almost in tears, and he's a big, rough, burly guy, and he's almost in tears. He says, you don't know how much I needed that. You're right, but God did. And that's why God gives us gifts so that we can use them to be a blessing to others. What was that Jesus said? It is better to give than to receive. So I hope that we won't be ignorant of these spiritual gifts and do more than just identify it, but then to launch out and fulfill the purpose for which God gave it to us. Let's pray together. 
Thanks again for listening today. Grace Baptist Church exists to help people worship God, connect to others, and serve both. If there's anything at all we can do for you, please reach out to us. You can reach us on Facebook as well as online at experiencegrace.church. Hope you have a great day.